So John chapter 16, 12 through 15 this morning. I'm going to look at these verses this morning under the heading, The Christian's Confidence in the Written Word. The Christian's Confidence in the Written Word. Um, as I pray this morning, too, I just want to lift up uh, Pastor Brandon. Uh, he's preaching at another local body this morning. Uh, also, one of our members, Matt Combs, is also preaching at a, another church. So we've got a, a lot of brothers uh, within this congregation that are, are taking the gospel and putting it forward uh, in local congregations. So uh, really excited about that. So as I pray, I'll pray for them as well, uh, but just wanted you to know why I was doing that. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15, then I'm going to pray and ask God for his help. So John 16, 12 through 15, would you hear now the word of the Lord? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we are grateful for your kindness and your mercy towards us. Uh, Father, we ask that you would just use this time for our good and your glory. Uh, simply, we ask that you would work in and through this passage to draw us closer to you. Father, I pray that you would bring conviction where needed for those that uh, may uh, be haughty and upright this morning, thinking they are right in their own eyes. Would they see their Savior, Jesus, their need for a Savior in him? I pray for those that are discouraged this morning. May this passage bring a level of encouragement as we see the beauty of your word and how you've given us the gift of your word to guide and direct us. Lord, I pray this morning for Pastor Brandon. pray for Matt Combs. God, would you use them? Would you help them? I give them strength, endurance, clarity this morning. And I ask that for myself as well. Father, we simply know that we need you to work in and through this the way that would help us to see you clear. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1494, a man by the name of William Tyndale was born. Although you may, have not, you may not have heard of William Tyndale, he's actually impacted your life far more than you probably understand. See, if you have an English uh, translation of God's word, William Tyndale helped to ensure that that happened. Tyndale spent most of his life as an outlaw. He's known as God's outlaw because he sacrificed so much for the work of God, for the glory of God. See, during Tyndale's time, it was considered a capital offense. That's right, capital offense. Like you could have been killed for this if you were to translate the Bible into the common people's vernacular language. 
the Roman Catholic Church insisted that the Bible stay in Latin. Uh, they wanted the Bible to stay in the hands of those that were skilled enough to, to read and translate on their own terms. Uh, but the problem was that a lot of people didn't know Latin. Uh, it wasn't a very common language then for the known world. William Tyndale, he, he eagerly sought to communicate God's Word. He eagerly sought to, to put the Word of God into the hands of the people because he knew that the Bible was the ultimate authority on matters of faith and life, not the Roman Catholic Church. As a result, Tyndale dedicated his life to translating the Bible into English so that his fellow countrymen could access the vast riches of God's Word. His stance resulted uh, in a life spent on the run, living hand to mouth uh, most of his life because he had to stay on the move in the shadows. By God's grace, he eventually completed a translation of the New Testament and, and then went on to work on translating the Old Testament. However, Tyndale was betrayed, arrested, and ultimately found guilty of heresy, and he was executed as a martyr in 1536. And his final words before his execution were these, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And his point was that he wanted the king of England to understand the authority of God's word and, and the reason why that every person should have a copy of God's word. By God's grace, his prayer was answered a few years later. And in 1539, King Henry VIII allowed the Bible to be in every single parish church in England followed by the translation, the King James Version, that many of you are familiar with. Uh, many modern English translations draw inspiration from Tyndale and the King James tradition, including the ESV that we preach from today. William Tyndale was a man who had confidence, the written word. He had confidence in this word. So much confidence that he gave his life to ensure that the Bible was accessible to all. And brothers and sisters, we need William Tyndale's today. We need men and women who were unapologetically committed to the Word of God. We need men and women who believe God's Word and live according to God's Word. We need to be rooted in the book. And today, what we have are a lot of critics, and we have a lot of problems. So Tyndale dealt with his own issues, and we have issues in our time as well. The critics of our day are very widespread. A Gallup survey taken in 2022 of self-professed Christians the results are these. 58% say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, but not everything in the Bible is to be taken literally. 
25% say that it should be interpreted literally. Let that sink in for a minute. 25% of the self-professing Christians that were surveyed believe that the Bible is indeed inerrant and should be taken as God's word. It's a low number. I'm no mathematician, but that's not high. It goes on, says that 16% of self-professing Christians think that the Bible is just an ancient book full of fables, full of stories. You know, stories of a man who lived a life, and he's a good guy and good moral teacher, but the inerrant, infallible Word of God, no way. And why? Why do we see these results? Here's what I think. One, because many pastors, for one, openly reject the inerrancy and sufficiency of the Bible. And there's too many to name, uh, the, uh, widespread now. People are just coming out, unhitch the Old Testament. The, the New Testament is just ideas. I mean, so many modern teachers that say the Word of God is not sufficient. It's not inerrant. It's not infallible. But it is a tragedy to see these leaders openly reject the Word of God. I mean, they clearly are openly rejecting God himself when they reject his words. And many, if they don't openly criticize the inerrancy of Scripture, reject inerrancy in practice, which then leads to problems. Unfortunately, too many churches have elevated superficial environments over supernatural exposition. We've gotten to a point where we want experience over exegesis. We want feelings over facts. The natural byproduct of these environments is weak, superficial Christians who lack confidence in God leaving them then in his will. They, they don't believe that they can manage the world. They, they don't believe that they can navigate hardships, trials, in life, and much less internal indwelling sin. Look to the feelings that they have rather than the truth. Listen, I don't say this to be critical or mean. I say this because I care. I care first and foremost about God. I care second about his bride, the church. See, Jesus Christ has given under-shepherds to care for his body, his people, his bride. And he's given under-shepherds, pastors, one thing to give them instruction, and that is his word. See, I don't have any authority in and of myself. None of our elders have any authority in and of ourselves. If we tell you to do something different than this Bible tells you to do, we are wrong. It is God's word that has the ultimate authority because it is God's word that is inerrant and infallible. Listen, just as it would be cruel 
to throw a toddler in a cage with a tiger. It is cruel to throw immature Christians into a world without commitment and confidence in the Bible itself. We need God's word. So what's the solution? There's problems in our day. What is the solution? Well, it's very simple. It's men and women who are committed to knowing, obeying, and teaching others the truth of God's word. It's in the book. We must be people of the book. My goal today is to show us that we can have complete confidence in the written word of God. And I believe these passages before us show us just that. So to put us into context here and catch us up to speed to where we are in this section of Scripture, remember, this is still the night before Jesus' death. It's the night before his crucifixion. And let's take a quick survey about all that's happened up to this point. So Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's told them that there's a betrayer within. He sends Judas out. Gives them a new commandment of self-sacrificial love. He tells them then that he's leaving and they cannot come with him. He tells Peter, hey, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, never. Peter, you're going to deny me. He tells them, preparing a place for you, that you're going to then dwell with me forever. Then he, he promises the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of chapter 15, things start to get real. He says, okay, all of these things are going to happen. And guess what? The world is going to hate you. You will be persecuted, and many of you will be killed. And he gives them more instruction on the Holy Spirit, right? We looked at that a lot last week. The Holy Spirit will be a prosecutor of sin, uh, exposing sin to the world, while also a prosecutor of righteousness, showing the world that it's only Christ's righteousness that could ever obtain a right relationship with God himself. And then... He goes on and says that the Holy Spirit will also convict the world of judgment. That if they do not repent and believe and place their hope in Christ and Christ alone, that there will be judgment. We walked through a sermon that Peter preached and we showed how there was that kind of theme, that the overarching theme in his sermon. But I mean, all of this to say these brothers have had quite the evening. They've had quite the evening. But Jesus isn't done. Look at verse 12. He says, I still have many things to you, to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So what is Jesus saying? I mean, clearly put, simply put, he's saying there is more that I have to teach you but you cannot handle it right now. Now, why is that? Well, two, obviously they've been through a lot. I mean, these are mere men. They have been, like, they've been put through the ringer. The emotional ringer here to find out that the man that they have been following, their Lord, their Savior, the man that they have left everything for is going to leave. 
And remember, he said that they are full of sorrow, so much that none of them even ask, where do you go, Jesus? Which meant they're not asking the right questions. They are self-absorbed right now, wallowing in their sorrow. Second, much of what Jesus has to teach them is post-resurrection truth. So there's things that he's going to teach them that happen after his resurrection. And Jesus has pointed this out before, right? Um, he said before John has, has, has walked this out with us. Remember, John was there. He's writing this gospel. He's, he's telling us he's one of the ones that didn't understand. Uh, if you recall in John 2, 22, John writes, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. John's probably there talking about himself, right? Like, oh, yeah, we remembered then. Uh, like, we remembered after the fact. John 12, 16, at first, his disciples did not understand these things. But after Jesus was glorified, they remembered what had been done to him. So post-resurrection, they remembered. They remembered what had been taught. In John 14, 26, Jesus reminded them, right, of one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have told you. So here's kind of how to frame this up. The Holy Spirit was going to take all of the puzzle pieces and was going to then put them together to develop the big picture the final understanding. They would be able to see now what was being taught all along that they failed to understand. We know that Acts 1-3 tells us that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection, giving them kind of an intensive, right, of just biblical theology. I mean, just to, to be there and hear the teachings of Christ in that moment. We know that he taught them personally, but Jesus goes on to tell them that the Holy Spirit, whom they've been promised, will personally ensure their success. So that's where we are here. And this text gives us four reasons why we can have confidence in the written word. Now, these are going to be quick. They're quick and straightforward. We're going to talk about these, hopefully be encouraged. I'm going to give you all four from my note takers here, all right? One, the Spirit is a trustworthy guide. Two, the Spirit speaks what he hears. Three, the Spirit glorifies Jesus. And four, the Spirit has declared the truths of God. So let's look first here. The Spirit is a trustworthy guide. We see this here in the first portion of Verse 13, and Jesus says, so when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So a couple of things to observe here. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, right, the, the spirit of truth will guide into all the truth. Now, this is pointing to a specific revelation of God of Jesus. We see that in the next portion. 
but it is general in all in the sense that, that all truth is God's truth. But it's not saying here that it's the Spirit's job to teach us that two plus two equals seven. Yeah, see, make sure y'all are awake. Two plus two equals four. Jesus is talking about the revelation of God. The revelation of God specifically here of Christ to humanity. The person, the work of Jesus who has already said that what? He is the way, he is the truth, and he himself is life. Now, while this passage has ongoing implications for us today in terms of the Spirit's guiding Christians to the truth, so there is implications of this. We're going to see that throughout uh, this text. But this passage is a specific promise to these apostles as they would be the original teachers and writers of the New Testament. Okay, so stay with me there. We've got we to remember, this is a very specific promise. Paul lays this out in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 19, Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking to the church at Ephesus here. He's reminding them that they've been brought into the family of God here. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And here we go. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. How many times do you lay a foundation? Yep, once. You don't have to be a builder to know that. Like, a foundation is built once. And that's what Paul says. There's one foundation prophets, the apostles, they laid the foundation. Paul goes on in Ephesians 3, 4. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, by the Spirit. So the writers of the New Testament relied on the Holy Spirit to guide them in speaking and writing the truth of God. What is a guide's job description? If you were to hire a guide to take you somewhere, that guide has a job. That's to make sure that you reach your destination. And that's what we see here that the Spirit is doing is guiding these disciples, these apostles, to write down what has been taught, making sure that Jesus' followers reach their intended destination. The destination in this context is the truth about Jesus, which is exactly what we have in our New Testament. So we can have confidence of that. Now, Jesus goes on to elaborate on how we know that the Spirit is trustworthy. We see the second reason we have confidence in the Bible. And it's that the Spirit speaks what he hears. Look at the next portion. Jesus still speaking here. For he will not speak on his own authority, 
but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, we all know that there's a big difference in telling someone what you were told to tell them or saying what you want to say. If I tell my kids to go tell my wife something or I ask my kids to go tell my wife something, they better go deliver the message that I gave them. And here we see that the Spirit does not have authority to do what he wants to do. That's what the text says. This passage teaches us that there is absolutely no contradiction in the triune Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in complete agreement, complete unity here. Once again, this has specific implications for the apostles and general implications for us today. For the specific, I want you to note that, the, that Jesus is telling them that all that the Holy Spirit will teach them is all that he hears. And he's going to declare the things to come. Now, in context, this is a reference to all that Jesus is that are all that's going to unfold in Jesus's death, resurrection, exaltation. It's going to help them to see here what is going on. Help to teach them the truths. And this means the writers of the New Testament were guided by the Spirit to prepare a new written revelation that would complement the Old Testament Right? We, don't, we don't throw out the Old Testament here. We said, no, this is a complement to the Old Testament, the existing scriptures. So during this process, what happened? The Spirit reminded the writers of the past, as Jesus mentions 1426, which became then what? The basis of the Gospels, the accounts that we have. The Spirit then helped to interpret the Gospels for their present as they were then living out their faith in Acts and then being guided, Luke guided to then write down what was important. We also see in the epistles, the, the instruction for the church, the letters that were written to the church. We see the Spirit is at work there guiding and directing helping to point them to the truth. And then finally, the Spirit also revealed future events to John in Revelation. So what is to come, we see in Revelation. Listen, simply put, this means that we have all that God wants us to know. We have all that we need to know. Because the Spirit has guided and directed the writers to teach us. Now listen, this isn't a new idea. It's exactly what the Old Testament taught. Moses writing in Deuteronomy 4.2, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So that's Old Testament. God telling Moses, don't add to this. New Testament, we see in Revelation 22, 18, 19, John writing, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. 
If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. So listen, the word of God is sufficient. The word of God is capable of teaching us all that we need to know, all that we need to understand, and all that we need to do in this life. So listen, this leads to the current implications for us today. So can we agree that God's word is complete? Amen? Amen. Amen. So what that means is this, there is no more thus saith the Lord. There is no more adding to the word of God. If the Holy Spirit cannot and does not speak on his, author, his own authority, what makes man think that they can? We are not authorized to add anything to God's word. We are not authorized to speak on God's behalf. Listen, it's popular to say now that God told me or the Spirit told me to maybe say this to you or, or maybe did this or... But listen, that is a direct contradiction of Scripture when we say in that way that God said this to me directly. The correct way to speak would be this. I was reading through the Bible last week, and I came across in my study James 4, 6, where James writes, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so maybe you're dealing with somebody in your life, and, or maybe you're just sharing a testimony that through that passage and through prayer and meditation on that passage, that you were convicted of your prideful life, or maybe you're, you're calling someone else out that you love and in love and that you have that relationship with, and you're able to say then, hey, listen, brother, sister, let me just encourage you that God's word says that if we humble ourselves, that he will give grace. So let me encourage you, brother and sister, that God's word teaches that. See, we don't have the authority to, to jump outside of those bounds. We don't have the authority to say, hey, you know what? You're, you're arrogant. And that's just what I feel about you. We must say, God's word says. So thus, as a brother and sister in Christ, let me just point you to the truth in God's word. So listen. The Spirit did not act on his own authority here. He spoke what he heard when giving the word to the apostles, making the Bible a fully trustworthy source. Furthermore, we see that the Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it 
to you. So why is this? Why is the Spirit's job to glorify Christ? Well, simply put, because Jesus Christ is the sum of all redemption. He's the sum of the gospel. He is the end-all, be-all in salvation. He accomplishes what we can not. Friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian, you have not repented of your sins, placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone for the assurance of your life, now and eternal. And if you do not follow King Jesus as your Lord, let me urge you, repent and believe. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today because he is glorious. He is the Savior that you need. He is the only Savior that can ever suffice. Hebrews 1.1 tells us, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So long ago, there was a way that the truth was communicated. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So just as the Son brought honor and glory to the Father in his ministry, the Spirit's ministry is centered around bringing glory and honor to Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer gives a very helpful word picture to illustrate the Holy Spirit's role here. He compares the Spirit to floodlights illuminating a stained glass window in a cathedral. And I quote, when floodlighting is done well, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its detail into relief so that you can see it properly. End quote. The Spirit is here to glorify, to magnify the work of Christ. And once again, there's immediate implications and general implications going on here. So immediately, the apostles would further understand the work of Jesus. I've said that before. I mean, this is just over and over. Jesus is saying, listen, the Spirit is going to do a work. going to teach and guide and glorify me. You're going to see things so much clearer. Pentecost was to enable the apostles to preach the gospel. I mean, that's what happens there, right? Spirit comes, they preach Christ and Christ crucified, and what happens? Sinners are saved. People are drawn from all tongue, tribe, nation. 
God brings a people to himself. That's what's happening here in this room. And that's because the gospel has gone forth through the proclamation of the word of God. For us, ongoing, so listen, we, we acknowledge, we honor the Holy Spirit. I, I think we should pray to the Holy Spirit. I think we should pray, Spirit, work in me. I mean, we're talking about the part of the Trinity here. We don't just put the Spirit over here and like we're, we're afraid of the Spirit and like, ah, it gets a little weird, you know. Like, no, let's just be biblical about the Spirit. Let, let's just look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and then let's act accordingly. We don't need to be afraid, but we need to know, we need to trust, we need to say, this is what God's Word says about the Spirit, so this is how I'm going to speak about the Spirit. And if I'm unsure about the Spirit, I'm not going to talk about the Spirit in that way. It's better to not say something that you might regret later, right? We must just know what we say. We worship through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us of this in Philippians 3.3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So we rely on the Spirit. We trust that the Spirit is at work in us. Pastor Gabe mentioned uh, quite a few times earlier that it's the Spirit who brings dead men and women to life, regenerates hearts of stone, that we are able to even respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. It's the Spirit's work in and through us. But it is crucial to remember that our thoughts regarding the Holy Spirit should align with biblical teaching. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. Therefore, anything that does not align with this purpose is what? Unbiblical. It must be rooted in the Word of God. See, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the New Testament, which was given to us so we would know the person and work of Jesus. Aren't we grateful for the New Testament? Where would we be? We would be lost. And this was the Spirit's job in divine revelation and is what we must look to as we walk through this life. Lastly, we see that the Spirit has declared the truths of God. The Spirit has declared the truths of God. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Once again, Jesus is showing unity between himself and the Father. And he's saying here now, the, the Holy Spirit also is a part of the Godhead is going to communicate the truths that I have given. This is a Trinitarian unification statement. This is showing the Trinity here. It tells the disciples, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to dwell within you. Someone asked me a couple weeks ago, well, like, okay, well, wasn't the Spirit there? Yeah, the Spirit was present with, not in. Not dwelling within believers. This is going to be a 
different presentation, giving of the Spirit. Now the Spirit will be with every single Christian in a unique, more profound way. And he tells the disciples specifically for them that as they then interpret, they, they write, as they are divinely inspired to write the New Testament, they are given then all that God has for them. So for us, here's what this means. Look at me. Do you want to know God? Well, get to know his word. Get to know his word. Spend time in his word. Prayerfully meditate on his word. Listen, young people to old alike, start early. If you haven't been consistent in your Bible reading, then listen, start being consistent now. As I was talking to Pastor Marcy from Hungary uh, on Friday, we were just talking through just how the Lord's working in our lives. And one of the things that he said that was a real good reminder to me that the Lord has recently given him a, a new enjoyment and a desire to just be in his word. And he said, you know, I always knew that, you know, my performance is not, that doesn't make me a Christian, but my sanctification is determined on how I am intentionally getting in God's word because I grow differently then. So don't hear me say that you must read your Bible in order to have God's favor on you. Your favor in Christ or with God is in Christ. Your salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. But let me just tell you, if you want to grow, if you want to know God, if you want to show fruits of regeneration, you must be in his word. You must be a person of prayer and Bible reading. See, I could say I love my wife. I could say that I'm a part of my wife, that we are one flesh. But if I do not speak with my wife, and if I do not seek to serve my wife, if I do not seek to love my wife and show her affection in the way that, that she desires, not in the way that I like to give it. Men, we, we got to sometimes catch that, right? We, we usually love how we like to be loved. My wife and my relationship would be pretty rough, wouldn't it? It, it wouldn't be a very good relationship. We might be married by covenant, but would we be married truly in love? Friends, we must be people of the world. Second, I want to just press this home too, that we must be people of the word because oftentimes when we're not and those that are not like to piecemeal Christianity, you take a little bit of this that you like, you take a little bit of that, and you kind of conjure up something that fits your desires rather than what God has said. Listen, we cannot create some brand of Christianity that does not align with the Word of God. There is no customization. 
to the word of God. We cannot pick and choose that which we like and then leave out all the rest. We've got to be people of the book. So through the work of the Holy Spirit, inspiring the writers of the New Testament, God has given us his word. We must now live by it with confidence that it is sufficient for all we need. John Bunyan wrote a classic book that many of you are probably familiar with, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, I highly encourage it to you. The Pilgrim's Progress begins with Bunyan having a dream about the main character named Christian. And in the dream, Christian is he, he's said to be seen clothed in rags, uh, representing the, the rags of just our own works and, and of anything that we try to accomplish. And he carries with him a great burden on his back that is supposed to represent sin. But there's one thing that Christian has in his hand, if you've ever seen the picture, and that's a book. And that book is the Bible. There's a part of the story where a Christian meets a man named Faith. And Faith is talking to Christian, and he helps to point Christian to the, the truth of why if we have faith, we must have the book. And Faith says that one time that he was confronted by some naysayers, someone that was trying to, to, to push him away from, from walking down the path towards eternal life. And Faith says this, Therefore, I thought to myself that what God says is the best, is best, even though all the men in the world are against it. End quote. Church, may we be said to have confidence like this. May we be said to be a people that would say whatever God has said is best. It doesn't matter what the world says. What God says is best. This is the resolve of Tyndale and others like him. And we could go through the list of martyrs in church history of those that have given their life for this book, for Jesus Christ, for the proclamation of the truth. May we be united by truth and be divided by error. My prayer is that we would indeed be people of the book, that we have confidence in God's word given to us. We need to give us a moment here to just respond Accordingly, as the band makes their way to the stage to lead us in a final song, I want you to just take a moment and just pray. Just ask the Lord to, to work in your heart, to respond in whatever way uh, maybe the, uh, the Spirit has worked in your heart in this. If you have neglected time of the Word, if you have looked towards other things, I want to encourage you this morning. Make a commitment to being person of the word, trusting God's word. Uh, maybe you're not a Christian. This is an opportunity for you to respond, to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the great news that Jesus Christ died on a cross to set you free from your sins and make you right with God. 
So take the opportunity now to respond accordingly. Father, we do pray and ask, God, that you would work. Uh, We trust that you have given us instruction. You've given us guidance. You've most importantly given us the gospel written down. You've, You've given us a person, Jesus Christ, to show us who you are. Would you help us, God? Would you work in the lives of each and every person gathered here today? Would you give us confidence in your word? May we stand firm in the face of affliction. When we are faced with the perils of life, may we be people that say it does not matter what the world may do. We have a God who loves us and has saved us and has promised eternity to us. So let the world do what it wish. Father, I pray for those that may not know you through Christ and Christ alone. I pray that you would grant them salvation today through your kindness and mercy. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.